Hello everybody and welcome into episode number 201 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading Luke chapter 18 today and our focus is on the danger of believing in yourself. Wow. So every day we dig into the Word of God and discuss it, think about what is being taught, and seek to obey it. Our website is Bible2021.com. You can contact us there, subscribe to the show, and read show notes in a transcript. Luke 18 has one of the most important teachings on prayer in the entire Bible, the parable of the persistent widow. It's such an important parable that Luke tells us at the very beginning the exact meaning of of the parable, so that none of us are so dull that we miss it. Always pray and never give up. That's the meaning of the parable. So when we read it in just a minute, know that the thing that Jesus is communicating to us is always pray, never give up. Now, over the years of uh, and months of doing daily Bible podcasting, I've talked about this chapter quite a few times because I love it and it's a powerful message to me. Uh, so I don't want to cover it fully today. But do pay careful attention to what Jesus is saying to us in this parable about the proper attitude and action when approaching God the Father. And that proper attitude and action is persistence, shameless persistence. And if you want to hear more about Luke 18, just look up Persistent Widow either at Bible2021.com or last year's Daily Bible Podcast website, which is still up and available, and it is at BibleReadingPodcast.com. One more note that we've also mentioned before over the show is that uh, when Jesus says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven, he means a needle, much like what you and I think about when we hear the word needle in a sewing context. In other words, a needle that no camel that has ever lived could possibly fit through. And this is why when Jesus is asked about this saying, he doesn't tell his disciples he's making an illustration about some sort of so-called needle gate, which there's no such thing. It never existed in Jerusalem. The The possibility that there was a needle gate and that Jesus was sort of being coy here uh, and the camel had to kneel down in front of it in humility and Jesus was teaching something about humility or whatever being required to enter into the kingdom of heaven is it's made up. It was made up around 800 to a thousand years after Jesus taught this. There's no needle gate. What Jesus means here is exactly what he seems to mean. That is, it is humanly impossible for a rich person to be saved. But as he tells his disciples who are marveling at this, it is possible for a rich person to be saved by God because all things are possible with God. Well, over to our main point. Over the last couple of decades, it seems like a significant amount of movies and TV shows aimed at kids and teenagers, and really probably quite a few aimed at adults as well, have all had the same basic theme and moral. You can't uh, turn on the Disney Channel without encountering this one at least once or twice a day. That moral is, believe in yourself and be yourself. Believe in yourself and be yourself and everything will turn out great. Well, look, I'm not all about downing yourself or being critical to yourself or uh, any sort of toxic thing like that. But there is two problems with the mantra of be yourself and believe in yourself. Number one, believing in yourself and being yourself only is a good thing if you are a genuinely good and always unselfish person. And you know what? Not many people out there are always unselfish. Think of your least favorite politician. 
Do you wish they would be themselves more and believe in themselves more? No, I didn't think so. Unfortunately, many of us often at our worst moments behave uh, quite a bit like our least favorite politician in that we are innately selfish and self-serving and believing in ourselves and being ourselves only seems to reinforce that innate selfishness rather than hinder it. Second reason that there's a problem with the mantra of being yourself and believing yourself, and that is that uh, when taken too far, the philosophy of believing in yourself is you can't save yourself. And Jesus teaches us, essentially in today's passage, not to believe in ourselves, but to have faith in God. Consider the introduction to our main passage today. This is Luke 18, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. So did you catch that? These are people who trusted in themselves. And the parable is going to teach us to do quite the opposite. So let's read our passage and then discuss it a little bit more. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. That's the meaning of the parable. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pastoring me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you, he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. People were bringing infants to him so that he might touch them, but when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Jesus, however, invited them. Let the children come to me and don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. A ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. I've kept all these from my youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, he told them, you still lack one thing, sell all you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. Seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Then who can be saved? And he replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Then Peter said, Look, we've left what we had and followed you. So he said to them, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left a house, wife or brothers or sisters, parents or children, 
because of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more at this time and eternal life in the age to come. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem. Everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on, and after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. They understood none of these things. The meaning of the saying was hidden from them, and that they did not grasp what was said. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what was happening. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they told him. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those in front told him to keep quiet, but he kept crying out on the moor, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him, and when he came closer, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has saved you. Instantly he could see, and he began to follow him, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So a Pharisee stands in public, in the temple, praying to God out loud. And he's thankful that he's so good and righteous, right? He's thankful that he's better than a tax collector nearby who's also praying. And he mentions to God, in case, you know, God wasn't paying attention or whatever, that he gives money to the temple and he fasts a lot. Well, I think this is probably the worst prayer in the Bible and one of the worst ever, right? This guy is just eaten up with self-righteousness, even though he's supposed to be a shepherd and leader of the people in God's ways. This Pharisee is the avatar and example for those who believe themselves in some sort of ultimate way. Was his prayer helpful? Was it effective? Was it fruitful? Not at all, notes Jesus. God does not move in response to this self-righteous believe-in-yourself prayer. On the other hand, our tax collector friend, he can't even look up to heaven because he's so aware of his own sin, and he's literally beating his chest with shame. Very likely, this tax collector, at least on the surface, is demonstrably a worse sinner than the Pharisee, who Pharisees usually excelled at external obedience in following God's rules, at least on the outside. So what happens? How does God respond to the prayer of this significant sinner? Well, Jesus says, I tell you, this one, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's mind-blowing when you think about it. Jesus tells us that it's, it's remarkable. The tax collector is justified, and the pastor, priest, Pharisee is not. Well, here is good old George Whitfield to help bring this truth home to us. Whitfield says, the tax collector smites upon his chest, his treacherous, ungrateful, desperately wicked chest, a chest now ready to burst and at length out of the abundance of his heart. I doubt not with many tears he at last cries out, God be merciful to me a sinner. Not God be merciful to me a saint, for he knew all his righteousnesses were like filthy rags. Not be God be merciful to such or such a one, but God be merciful to me, even to me, a sinner, a sinner by birth, a sinner in thought, a sinner in word and deed, a sinner as to my person, a sinner as to all my performances, a sinner in whom dwelleth no good thing, a poor, miserable, blind, and naked sinner from the crown of my head to the sole of my feet. What do you think? Would this tax collector have been offended if any 
minister had told him that he deserved to be damned? Would he have been angry if anyone had told him that by nature he was half a devil and half a beast? No, he would have confessed a thousand hells to have been his due and that he was an earthly devilish sinner. He felt now what a dreadful thing it was to depart from the living God. He felt that he was inexcusable in every way, that he could in no wise account anything of himself, that he couldn't be justified in the sight of God, and therefore he lays himself at the feet of sovereign mercy, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Here he has no confidence in the the flesh, no plea fetched from a life of fasting, paying tithes, or the performance of any other religious duty. Here is no boasting in him that he was not an extortioner or unjust or an adulterer. Maybe he'd been guilty of all those sins. At least he knew he would have been guilty of all of them had he been left to follow the desires and devices of his heart. And therefore, with a broken and contrite spirit, he cries out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The man came up to the temple to pray, and pray he did. And a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. I tell you, says Jesus, I who lay in the chest of the Father from all of eternity, I who am God and therefore know all things, I who can neither deceive or be deceived, whose judgment is according to what is right, I tell you, whatever you may think of it or think of me for telling you so, this man... This publican, this tax collector, this despised, sinful, but broken-hearted man went down to his house justified. In other words, acquitted, found not guilty, looked upon as righteous in the sight of God rather than the other. Well, friends, let's learn from that. And let us in our prayers be honest and transparent like the publican and not self-righteous and self-faithful like the Pharisee. Well, we close with our verse of the month for July, which is Luke 6, 47 and 48. I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. Amen. Well, friends, may our house be well built because we follow the teachings of Jesus. Good day to you and Godspeed.